0: This is episode number 130. How do we thoroughly approach grief and mental health, both within ourselves and with loved ones? With JS part. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Outs Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you, To help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your
1: fullest potential.
0: Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a brief announcement regarding our virtual meetup, Courageous Conversations. This is something that we started a few weeks ago through Zoom, where every single Saturday at 9 a.m. Central Time, we host a 1-hour long call for all of us within the community to connect and to learn more about each other and the individual journeys that we take within our lives. If you're interested in joining any of the upcoming calls, go ahead and leave us a message through our website to which we'll respond with all the details where you can join and at what time. Now, let's get back to our show. Welcome back to another episode of The Overcoming Odds podcast. Today's guest is someone that I was fortunate enough of meeting through Heather Parody's group, Unconventional Leaders. I feel like I'm I feel like I'm repeating the same thing because a lot of the guests have come from this group. His name is June Park, and I wanted to have a conversation with him around this topic of grief and trauma, and how do we process this, and what does the normal become in in the conditions that we're experiencing right now. As not only a city and nation, but ultimately the world. June, welcome to the show.
2: Oleg, I am uh, a big fan of your podcast. I've been listening to it nonstop now, but, <laughs> so I know a little bit of what's coming. But I am, I am a fan. Thank you for having me on, sir.
0: I appreciate it. No, thank you so much for choosing to share the space with with both of us. You know, it's an interesting journey. For and the reason why is because I think we're always co-creating between our our worlds and I always admire and respect the space to be with another individual or group and and really just create a space where we can mutually understand each other and share our own perspectives of what we know because as you and I were saying prior to hitting the record button and I was asking you a lot of these questions about different cultures is that you don't know what you don't know Mm-hmm. And the only way to figure out is to just create that space and ask those questions. That's right.
1: so, right.
0: so I'm glad that we're able to do it. But before we get into kind of our theme and the central topic of today's episode, I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself to some of our listeners, and that is by answering the question of, who are you?
2: So Oleg, I've been listening to your podcast. I know that this is your, <laughs> your first question, <laughs> and it's so interesting how people answer Mm -hmm. because they will give like factual answers, like Mm -hmm. they will talk about what they do or their occupation or how they came to it, or they will give like the philosophical answer. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm a reflection of God or I'm a human being or things Mm -hmm. like that. So I will try to break this down into two parts. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you the factual and then I'll give you kind of the more philosophical spiritual. So factually, I'm, I'm J.S. Park, or uh, my first name is June, uh, like you said at the top of the podcast. Um, I'm a chaplain. I work both at a hospital and a homeless shelter. And so part of my role is to be what we call a non-anxious, non-judgmental, comforting presence, uh, especially for people who are in crisis. Mm-hmm. So whether that's in the hospital with a patient or with someone who is a homeless Uh, individual or low income, or it's an entire family, I offer comfort and care emotionally and spiritually for that person in that situation in that moment. So the difference between a minister and a chaplain is a minister very often imparts information or theology, but a chaplain is a presence. We don't preach. We are just present with the person. So that's that's what I do. That's my role. I'm also let's see, sixth degree black belt. I got a book coming out. Uh, I used to be an atheist. I'm not anymore. I'm Korean American. I am very very happily married. Uh, My wife is going to have a baby in July. So we're going to have a baby. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, I'm a son to immigrants. Um, That is that is factually all who I am. Uh, philosophically and spiritually, I would say this is part of my calling and my role and everything else, uh, past experiences and all. I I feel very called to be the person that someone needs me to be, and so um, I try to be the voice that I needed when I was growing up. So I would say that's that's that that can be good or bad, right? Because I try to be the voice that someone needs. And so sometimes that means I uh, compromise a little bit. Mm-hmm. I have a little bit of a people pleasing streak in me. So sometimes I'm like very much fanning the flames of someone's vanity, <laughs> hmm. but the good, the good side of that or the good edge of that is that um, I am serving this person. I try to be what they need, even if that means I'm just completely silent and present with them in their moment of pain.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: How do you draw the fine line between the two as far as what you described of of still creating a space for the individual, but not having it be so that they become dependent on you for Mm. every single problem, every single solution that they're seeking for in their lives?
2: Yeah, so Oleg, I know that this is kind of a buzzword now, but we talk about ba- boundaries a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And so there are boundaries that we need to keep as far as first me being able to draw the boundary of I am here for you, but I'm also a limited human being with a, I have a meter like a capacity. And once that's, <laughs> right, once that's drained, which I need to kind of be aware of my own rhythms, then I need to rest and recharge. There's also the boundary that I have to have with myself of am I serving this person and caring for them because I want them to give me validation or approval, or because I want them to be happy and see me as a good person. So I have to draw that boundary within myself. And then there's the boundary of this other person making sure that I am giving them proper resources so that they're able to care for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, because to answer that specific question about how can how can this person be cared for, but so that they don't depend on me, it's that old, you know, that old saying about uh, rather than giving a person fish, you teach them yes. how to. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. very much that. So it's not so much speaking for them, but allowing them, almost empowering their voice that they're able to speak and advocate for themselves. And that's... Mm-hmm there's no clear line that's all blurry and messy. And you know, like no, none of us are fully aware of our our motives all the time. Right. Uh, But it's, it's a process in learning how to do that, draw those boundaries. And I can say that I've messed it up a lot and hopefully I've gotten it right some of the time.
0: You mentioned one of the, one of the roles. And I think it's a very interesting role to be in as far as the time and everything that we're experiencing as a world. And that is a nurse. And do, do you work a lot, in the, in the hospitals or do you work in other, um, entities?
2: Yeah. So my wife is a nurse practitioner. Uh, I serve as a chaplain in the hospital and I work alongside doctors, nurses, surgeons, search techs, um, the entire hospital staff, I'm in a hospital that's a thousand plus beds. Mm. Um, and we're very often like 90% filled uh, capacity. So, so yeah, a lot of my work is in the healthcare field and then working at the homeless shelter. Uh, I do primarily staff care because Mm -hmm. those taking care, uh, providing for homeless and low income, they experience a lot of compassion, fatigue, and burnout. Mm -hmm. My primary role there is staff care, but I also directly work with what we call our clients. Those are the individuals and families who come in that are homeless and low income. I also offer care and support for them in the waiting area as they come in.
0: You know one of the things that I've been interested in and this is something that my mom actually brought up during uh, our most recent conversation that I had with her and that is those who are in the position of nurses doctors and are having to deal with the coronavirus and and everyone that may have symptoms of it how do you personally experience the following with people and patients who are on the verge of possibly experiencing death and considering that they can't have their family next to them during this particular time it my my assumption at least due to the social distancing that we all have to go through what toll does that play on you and and have you had to have you had a similar experience like that
2: yeah this is oh like this is a difficult and deeply personal question it's, mm-hmm. it's so hard to answer, I think because for one, this pandemic that we're experiencing right now is new uh, to many of us. Mm-hmm. And I think this is this is basically the first time that we're we're all going through this globally, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in situations where loved ones cannot comfort each other because we need distance, we can't physically be within each other's space. Mm-hmm. There's not only the grief. Of being afflicted with um, the fear of getting coronavirus, or for hospital patients, the grief of catching coronavirus and being physically assailed by all these different things. There's also the grief of losing our means of connection Mm. and presence. And so I think there, a lot of us are experiencing this secondary grief. And when I say secondary grief, I don't mean it's lesser grief. I mean, it's, a, it's maybe even a larger grief than mm-hmm. actually whether a person is testing for co- has tested positive for COVID-19 or is, um, has lost their freedoms because of uh, the fear of catching it. The second type of grief, I think, is losing our ability to comfort each other and to grieve the way that we want to. So to answer your second question, I did experience this in a very personal way. I'm, tr- I'm gonna change some of the details to of course. Mm-hmm. confidentiality. But um, I had a friend um, who lost someone. We don't know the circumstances, could be COVID-19, might not be. But when I was there, he reached out to hug me um, and I hugged back. And I, I, I put this on, as a video on, on my social media recently. But I, I confess that that was a mistake as far as the rule goes. And I know that I messed up. And at the same time, I know that that's what my friend really, really needed right then
1: Mm.
2: in in my capacity as a chaplain, as a human being, as a friend, as someone who was there. And there were other people kind of in the room, you know, we're all apart. We we can't be close, but he saw me and he just as a reflex, that's what he did. And maybe I should have stopped him, Mm -hmm. but I didn't. And looking back, I don't know if I would have done it differently. Maybe I should have. Um, but these are the kind of case-by-case situations that we have that are just terrible and awful and make, and, and make me feel sick to my stomach. And I'm still trying to understand and navigate. And as we were talking about this, and I've had other conversations like this where funerals can't be the same anymore because you can't mm-hmm. have over 10. And if family from far away want to come and visit, they can't travel like they want to. Um, And even as we were waiting for the proper authorities to come and pick up the deceased um, there, they we had to quarantine the room and they're coming in like almost like these hazmat type suits. And it's, it's a scary looking situation. Mm -hmm. So there's no answer for this. Oleg. there's no like, Hey, here's what you got to do. But I think the main thing is understanding that this is the new quote unquote, the new normal. It's mm-hmm. gonna be loss around loss, that there is this second grief and just expecting that it's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe if some of us can say, I know what this is gonna be like, or somebody warned me about this, or somebody told me about this, if if at least I can give a heads up and say, Hey, this is what you might be facing, then at least our body or our minds or our spirit can be somewhat. Prepared can at least when the situation happens, our our body can at least say, "Okay, I knew that this was going to happen. I have a little bit of preparation. I'm on to you. I know what I'm experiencing is quote unquote normal." Mm -hmm. So if I think if I can at least say, "Hey, this is a new thing that we're all experiencing. It it, it is going to take us by surprise, and and it's going to it's it's just going to catch us, uh, leaving us breathless, really." then at least the surprise of the surprise won't take us too much off guard. That's my mm-hmm.
1: hope. Mm-hmm.
0: So how do you take that moving forward as far as the social distancing and everything? You know, you just had an experience like this in your life and you you understand the importance of also the different things that we're trying to implement as far as having this pandemic slow down and and not get into more lives and more more households. What do you take away from your personal experience as far as lessons learned? What, how, do you, how do you even process that moment? Or are you still processing it right now?
2: Yeah. Well, like even as you're asking that question, I'm like, gosh, I don't know how to answer that just because I'm still processing that whole thing. I would say, of course, as a general rule, we, we have to be safe and have to be cautious and sanitize, wash hands, all of that kind of stuff. So, of course, I'm 100% on the, on the distancing Mm-hmm. Uh, practice that we we all need to have and i think i mentioned earlier that it, it's a case by case we look at each situation uniquely and each cir- circumstance is so specific unto itself that if i just made a general blanket rule like no matter what a hundred percent of the hmm. time it has to be like this is that fair you know mm-hmm. so you know every situation is compl- complicated complicated somebody commented on on my um uh, social media recently said something like right now we don't have the luxury of perfect choices. Mm. Um, and and that's always been true, right? Mm -hmm. But even now more than ever, like how do we decide these things? So of course we want to be safe. I never want to endorse or promote. Oh yeah. You know, just hug who you want and don't worry about distance. And I, I'm I'm not, I don't want to ever, I hope no one mishears that. Mm
1: -hmm. But then when
2: we look at each situation, how can I, to the best of my ability within wisdom, but also holding compassion at mm-hmm. the same time, be there with this person? And sometimes the most compassionate thing is to keep distance, to not touch, to to make sure we're not making the situation worse. And looking back at, at what I did, was it the wise thing to do? Was it the okay thing to do? I'm, I'm still not sure. Like, mm-hmm. I'm still not sure, but... I I hope that even in the way that I messed up, that I know I I broke that rule, that I was still somehow offering comfort and compassion that, that maybe in the way that I messed up that moment still redeemed somehow.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I think part of what you just shared, the, the other thing that comes to mind is this concept of connection. Maybe it's meant to be redefined. Maybe there's something else within the connection of one human being to another or one being to another that does not require physical contact maybe this is something maybe this is an instance in a situation that's meant to teach us this that there's something else within this connection piece that we may not have been aware of before and what is this situation making you see differently that you didn't see previously
2: yeah so oh like i don't think that obviously this situation is ideal at all. Right. Me, I love being one-on-one or being in the same space, but even the way that we're doing this interview right now, mm-hmm. webcam, this couldn't have happened maybe, you know, even, even five, 10 years ago. Um, yeah, there all, we are finding creative and innovative ways to connect, uh, whether that's in the hospital, the homeless shelter, people working from home, uh, family members having to, to connect in, in interesting ways. Um, I think that there is something uniquely powerful about typed text. So there's something different about that, mm-hmm. right? So I've been connecting more than ever now through text messages, through email, through messenger, you know, apps and things like that. And there's something so different about texting because when you read words from a person, it's not always ideal, but it's, it's like a, almost an archived record of what that person is feeling and communicating to you. So I'm experiencing that in a whole new way. It's almost like we're all writing these little mini letters to each other. And even in that connection, there's an intensity and a uniqueness. There's a power to it. That also means that when we send text to each other, it can also be more hurtful sometimes. Because okay? mm-hmm. it's a record that's there. You know, you're <laughs> you're seeing it, you know, quote unquote in stone, etched. Yeah. And it, you're you're taking it in visually. So I think there's a power there that can be hurtful, but a power there that can be so healing. That's that's way different than physical touch and being present. So I think I'm experiencing that in a brand new way. Um, I think the video chats where, you know, we're seeing a lot of pictures now on social media of like, you know, 20 different faces (laughs) in a, in a chat room, things like that. Yeah. We're all connecting in brand new ways. And again, I don't think it's ideal. I'm a one-on-one type of person. Uh, I love being in a space with people. Part of my role, my calling as a chaplain is to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think these new and powerful ways are hitting different areas of our soul and our brain Mm -hmm. uh, that didn't before. And so I think there's good to be found in that. And again, not ideal, but there's so much good and so much power in that. And so I think just as kind of a practical takeaway, I've been learning to hit I've been learning to pause before I hit the send button on things, Mm. you know, especially now we're all stressed. We're all low key anxious. Mm -hmm. We're going to probably say things that we normally never would have through text anyway. But now with the extra stress, it's like we're, we're all fired up and kind of raw right now. So one way I can be compassionate in my connection is to pause before I send something and ask myself, how is this going to be interpreted? Is this edifying? Is this going to be healing for this person? Uh, even in emails, can this be misinterpreted somehow? So I'm taking that extra second now to pause, and that's one way that I can be compassionate in our in our new method of connection.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You bring up a really good point, which is kind of a perfect transition as far as what this normal is going to look like. And one of the things that I've heard and and pondered upon is what is going to be that normal once we get through it. But in reality, let's face it, that normal changes every single day. So whatever your normal was yesterday or even before this virus, it's, it's different from the normal that you experience today. And I think part of it is because every single day you get to experience something that you may not have experienced before. So how, has this, how did you maintain that mindset if you had that mindset to begin with as far as the normal is all about the now rather than having it returned to how it was five or 10 years ago.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think people are wanting, well, when I say people, I I need to speak for myself. Mm -hmm. I am wanting things to return to the way that they were right. Mm -hmm. Many of us are Um, being able to go to work normally, being able to grieve normally, being able to connect in in physical ways that we uh, just can't right now. Um, I think when things do, quote unquote, settle down, when this crisis is over, I don't think it's really going to be over. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I mean that in good ways and not good ways. Mm -hmm. Um, We are going to carry the trauma of this. And I think some of the new, we've been using the word normal, but some of the new, quote unquote, normal, when I say normal, you know what I mean, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. As things settle down, I think we will. There will be uh, a lot of happiness and joy about things finally going back to, hey, we're able to go to work normally or grieve normally or connect normally. But there's going to be a lot of trauma. There's going to be a lot of conversations about um, the kids that we're raising right now in this generation. What are the effects on these these children as they experience this pandemic? Mm -hmm. They, They grew up in this season not being able to hug or connect normally like they should have been able to um how are we going to travel even even as i was watching a movie the other day oh like this is kind of a, maybe a, a dumb example but every time people like hugged or shook hands in the movie i flinched <laughs> I cringed, right <laughs> mm-hmm. that was my reflex and i'm like well it's just a movie and this is way before everything happened but even my mind has been like almost psychologically rewired to, to see that and cringe and say, oh no, social distancing, oh wait, they're in a movie. It's fine. Mm-hmm. You know? So yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if this, if, if what I'm saying has a conclusion, but I know that a lot of things are going to change and not go back to normal. And I think the way we need to cope or, or there's going to be a big readjustment period. And it may be lifelong. I think some people have compared this to, for example, the tragedy of September 11th, mm-hmm and how things change forever since then. And I I think it may be kind of the same way. And so we don't know quite the effects of it, but I'm anticipating that there's going to, there are going to be a lot of changes and a big, big season of readjustment.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Curious to know in regard to change, do you fear change? Do you embrace change? Or do you have another completely other, a completely different relationship with change?
2: So Oleg, I, I don't like change at all, Uh but I love growth. And I I think those are two different ideas, right? So with change, we all change. And sometimes externally and internally change happens without our knowledge or without our, our, you know, us wanting to. So whether that's social circumstances, whether that's loss, change is going to happen. And Change I don't like so much. When I go to a restaurant, well, when I used to go to a restaurant, can't now. But <laughs> when, when I went to a restaurant, whatever restaurant it was, I would always get the same thing. Always. Oh. I, I almost never deviate from my favorite stuff on the menu. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's to the point now where the local places I go, like there's this local Cuban place I go. When I walk in the door, they just put in my order. <laughs> they know what I want already. Um, so, so I don't like change. Uh, I find it very difficult to let go of things, to move into new seasons. Um, I, I just like wearing plain colors all the time, I, but I love growth and the difference between change and growth is that growth is very often a choice that we make. Mm-hmm. A choice to improve is a choice to adapt. It's a choice to adjust, a, a choice to be able to become a better version of ourselves and growing is also just as painful as change if not more, but the thing about growth and, and change too, the thing about growth is that when you choose to grow, um, it, it always turns out for the better. It imp- it helps everyone else. And of course, most especially uh, yourself. And so I don't like change, but I, I do love the end result uh, of growth. And so I think in answering your question, yeah, I, change is so hard uh, and I don't like it. But I find that as change happens, I can always grow from the change that's occurring.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The thing that I've learned about change is that it's ine- inevitable. It's going to happen one way or another. And it, in fact, it happens now. You're doing this conversation and all the other interactions that we have. And the thing that I liked about what you said is that there's a choice. You can make a choice. I, a friend of mine recently told me during a conversation that I had, he said that right now, the common themes between many of us is coronavirus, the insecurity of it. But then the third thing is that you get to choose. You have a choice in whether or not you're going to operate from kind of the fear and the scarcity mindset of what it can be and what it is. Or you have a choice as far as what is the opportunity? What are the possibilities within the current challenges and adversities? And I, I think to a degree, it's a mindset. I think it's a mindset that gets developed and practiced over time. It doesn't happen overnight. I don't think many things happen overnight. Let's put it that way. So in in this case, the the thing that you mentioned as far as growth is a choice, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I think in in this situation, we also have that choice present to us as far as how can we grow as individuals, how can we grow as a community, how can we grow as a collective, when it comes to a lot of these things that we're experiencing that may not be the quote unquote normal that once upon a time used to be.
2: Yeah. And you know what? Oh, like, can I, can I tag on that? Mm-hmm. You know, I think there, there's a saying that's like something like better than yesterday, or, you know, we always want to become the better version of ourselves. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but for your listeners, and I'm saying this also, you know, for you, but I'm, I'm, I'm really preaching this to myself growth is not a linear process. And growth, growth is not a, a, by any means a perfect process. And so I think sometimes we're very hard on ourselves that we have to be better than yesterday or are all these mantras and kind of slogans that we have about constantly improving and bettering ourselves. And sometimes that, that can be a lot of pressure
1: mm-hmm.
2: and burden. And sometimes we do just need to rest and be and recognize that today, maybe today is not my day. Or maybe today is the four steps back before the six steps forward. Today's a setback. Today's a loss. Today's a failure. And so I want to be careful that I'm not saying, Hey, you have to grow all the time every day. Mm -hmm. We do need space to rest, to breathe, to recharge. And I, I, I don't think my, my faith tells me uh, that there's a thing called grace in which I need to have grace for myself. That's patience. That's generosity. That's being kind to myself, that there's a God who loves, and that God is love, and so if I'm to have grace for myself, that means to be able to have grace for myself when I lack the growth that I wanted for that day. Mm. And so, so right now, with this pandemic, it is exposing a lot of ugly things in people. Mm-hmm. We see the hate crimes, we see the hoarding, we see the spreading of misinformation. Some of us, fear has driven us towards very, very unkind things.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But my hope is that as people are being exposed, we're finding out what's really inside. I I have hope for everyone that no matter what comes out, that that part of them can be redeemed and they can grow from that. And if I, if I look at someone's journey and see their failure or their loss, and I say that that's their whole journey, I'm not giving them a lot of grace. We very often only see 0.01% of someone's journey and they, they may be on their way to growth, but it's going to take them some time. So, so I know I'm taking a long time with this, but I I say that to say I hope I'm not saying you have to be growing all the time, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. We need grace for ourselves as we grow.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's an important decision to make as far as understanding that point of view that you still have to have level of compassion for yourself, and that's something that I'm learning every single day. And and trust me, it's not a <laughs> it, I haven't perfected that, nor do I think I ever will with every new layer that you experience within this life, there is going to be a new level of thinking that you're going to have to develop. So the decision making is going to evolve is going to have to evolve just like everything else. So in moments where just like you said, you may not be as growing as fast as you want to. Maybe that's a moment where you take a step back and reflect and do something completely different that works more on your well-being, compassion, and all these other elements that make up who you are. And I, I've been curious to know as far as where does that come from, or what does that associate with? Is that intuition, or is that something else?
1: Hmm.
2: Well, I would say part of my faith, uh, as I said earlier, mm-hmm. uh, tells me that God is a God of love. I also think, you know, when when I was growing up, culturally and socially, and also in my family of origin, there wasn't a lot of grace and room to grow and room to make mistakes. And so I think in experiencing that, when I finally experienced compassion and grace and and kindness and all that kind of stuff, it was like a, it was, it was like, I was looking, I got something that I never knew that I needed, but was always looking for. Mm. And I realized this is the voice that I want to be for people including the voice that I want to be for myself as well. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think not having it uh, led me to definitely wanting it and also wanting to give that for others. And I I guess that's a sad, almost reverse way of learning. Um, But I think if anything good came out of the trauma that I experienced growing up, it's that I hope that other people can experience the grace that I didn't. And I'm not saying that I never experienced it growing up, but certainly um, I was lacking it a lot. And so, yeah, out of that pain came almost like a redemptive purpose. Like, like when, when I grow up, I'm going to make sure uh, that people experience grace that I lacked. One example would be in a church that I used to work at. This is several, several churches ago. Mm -hmm. I told my pastor at the time that I was depressed and I wanted to take my own life. And I'm, I'm sad to say that he, uh, he laughed when I told him that. And then he said, he said to me, uh, what do you have to be so depressed about? And I remember thinking in that moment, this, this was my fir- very first thought. As soon as he said that I thought I will never ever do this to somebody else if they tell me they're depressed. I will never do what he did. And again, I, I'm being, I'm being careful because I don't want my motive to be an anti-motive. Like, Oh, I'm not mm-hmm. going to be like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's not how we can operate in life. But when he did that, I remember thinking I'm not going to choose this way. I'm going to choose the way of, of compassion, of generosity, of hearing the whole story of under seeking to understand a person and where they're coming from and why they're experiencing what they are. And so it, it's, it's things like that that definitely formed my idea of grace. And if I could define grace, it would be being able to hold and hear an entire story, not just a small part of someone's story. Mm.
0: Because there's always a story within the story.
2: It, yep. Yep. Stories well, the, underneath stories too, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. the
0: story that I might be revealing to you may not be the story that I'm actually writing in my head or in my heart. And so creating that space for that individual is it's a really interesting approach.
2: Yeah. Just think of like, like you are a hundred different people to the hundred people that, you know, right. Mm-hmm. Everybody has an idea of who you are. Even as we're talking, we're un, you know, subconsciously, not even trying to making assumptions about each other. Right. Mm-hmm. As I'm talking, you know, it sounds like, Oh, Oh, this must be what he thinks or his personality is always like, or, you mm-hmm. know, we're doing that not consciously. Right. But we are 100 different people to the 100 people that we know. And everybody else, we don't fully know their story. Mm -hmm. And so before we assign blame, before we throw a generalized assumption on someone and say, oh, they did this, they must be the funny guy, they must be the sad person. I had someone tell me, oh, you're a chaplain, you're a sad guy then, (laughs) right? And Every time then, from then on, anytime I said something even remotely, like sad, he would say, oh, you're saying that because you're a chaplain, right? Mm -hmm. And so we don't often give each other a fair chance grace in that. And so I'm always assuming the reason this person is acting the way that they're acting, there's a reason for it. And it makes sense to that person. Mm -hmm. So so how can I have grace for that person? And I'm not excusing bad behavior or evil behavior or anything like that, but I'm trying to see further than what my eyes can see. I'm trying to have vision uh, bigger than my sight.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And it doesn't have to make sense to you in order for that, in order for it to make sense to them. Yes. That's the biggest thing that I learned is that in yep. meeting people where they are, part of it is really just as simple as understanding that line, that whatever yep. makes sense to you may not make sense to me, but that's okay.
2: <laughs> yep, that's exactly. Amen to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> One of the things that I've been curious about, so I read a book a couple of weeks ago called The Art of Possibility, and there's an example in that book there's a chapter in the book that says given an in a, and the author uses an example of someone I, I want to say that is originally from China. And it's a, it, the student writes the professor or the conductor a letter in explaining why he has struggled with this concept. And the story behind it is that given in a was a class that this instructor taught. And so at the very beginning from day one, he gave every single individual an A and he made the students write him a letter in explaining why they deserved that A at the end of the course. So you almost visualize the whole three to four to five month process wow. in saying, hey, I believe I deserved an A for the following things, which is brilliant because then you give them a chance to essentially map out the different things that they're going to do. Mm-hmm. and and, their, and evaluate their progress. but th- The reason why I bring that up is because there was a student in that class who was from China, and he said that it, it was difficult for him to do that because his culture did not align with that mindset. Mm-hmm. You don't start with an A in Asian cultures, in some of them. You work towards it. That's why there's that big sense of pride and accomplishment when it comes to it. So I'm curious to know kind of from your perspective, as far as having experienced the different cultures that you have, what do you still carry with you? That's part of your original culture and what had to evolve into something else that maybe you didn't even think at the time was possible.
2: Yeah. Oh, like I love this question. And it's (laughs) funny because in in any interview I've done, I always end up talking about the cultural, maybe I'm that guy. (laughs) 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 But you know I, I have an advantage in that I grew up in an Eastern upbringing, but also grew up here and you know was born here in the US. so I guess I, I have maybe an advantage of having a foot in both worlds. But oh, like first, that story that you told. Mm-hmm. Can, I, can I just comment on that story? Real of course. Quick? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such an, a cool story. And you know what? I, I want to be fair to that person who couldn't come up with why he felt like he deserved an A. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really hard assignment. But here's what I also think about that. So I did this program once where at the very end, um, this mentor slash leader person was supposed to write an evaluation of me. And in the end, he said, you know what, why don't you write an evaluation of yourself and I'll sign it. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Right. And this evaluation was supposed to be my strengths, my weaknesses and things like that. And what he told me was write it completely in the affirmative because you grew so much or something. He said something like that. He said, just, just write a really, really encouraging thing. Oh, like I had so much difficulty writing. It it was really Mm -hmm. really hard. But what I also realized was we need other people to tell us about ourselves, Mm -hmm. both affirmation and keeping us accountable. Like it is it is very difficult to come up with how good we think we are or to see the flaws that or see the, what areas we need to improve, right? Mm-hmm. So I think out of fairness of that person in that story, we do need each other to tell each other like what the truth is and what we see. And so that that's part of my faith too, and that we need like a a, a a love from God or like something outside of us to be able mm-hmm. to affirm who we are. Like it's very difficult to affirm ourselves. And that that's maybe limitation of being able to see ourselves. So I feel for that guy <laughs> in that story. And so, yeah, yeah. But to answer your actual question or like, um, you know, culturally I think in my culture, I can't speak for all Koreans, but I do know that in my culture, we are uh, very, very collectivistic, meaning mm-hmm. you think in terms of team or family or group, right? And in the West, as far as I understand it, there's a much more individualistic type thinking. So to give an example, during this pandemic in China, I mean, they're completely on lockdown. A lot of the citizens can only go outside for two hours to get what they need and go home. They each have an app on their phone that flags when they're outside of their homes and they're back in. That's why their numbers for the COVID-19 cases have dropped so drastically, because the way that a lot of their cities are run they all pitch in to be on lockdown and they can only get supplies that they need. And they're watched. I mean, they're basically tracked by GPS. So they can do that there because they're thinking collectivistically. And I was thinking, I don't know if us citizens, if us in the States, Mm. if I myself, you know, being an American could do that because we're so used to our having our individual autonomy and freedoms Mm. and the American dream and no, like, you know what i want is my so there's that mark, very marked difference and so i've noticed a trend in movies and things like that even asian movies that are shown here where the individual is always held up higher than the group always and i'm learning that 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 shouldn't always be the case um i'm learning that there is value in my eastern upbringing and that there is a lot of value in the team in the group in the family in the gathering. And I'm trying to learn that sometimes our collective voice, yes, it can drown out the individual, but we need the group. We need each other's voice. And I think sometimes the individual voice, our need to be like to fight for that independent dream is so strong that it becomes harmful and it overrides other people. So. I think there's flaws and there's good things and bad things about both cultures, but I'm Mm -hmm. learning to meld that together and I'm finding the strengths of both. And again, I feel like maybe I have either an advantage or a benefit or the privilege of being able to have both cultures within me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to learn what is the strength of individualism and what is the strength of my group? And so I'm being very careful now when when I consume any kind of entertainment or media, I, I just I see it. Oh, this is a very very almost westernized propaganda, or oh, this is very very much, you know, uh, easternized. Like only you can't think for yourself. So I can see where that's happening. And and can I finish the question mm-hmm. like this? Mm-hmm. There is one movie, only one Disney movie that I've seen where both cultures coexist. Do you know what that means? Mm-hmm. I do that not. Movie, that movie is uh, Coco by Pixar in the, so the movie it's interesting in that it's about the, the main character is supposed to give up his dream of music uh, because his family wants him to right mm-hmm. and what, what's and when I was watching the movie I was like oh let me guess he's gonna find his voice and he's gonna play the music and he's gonna go against his family and in the end you know his family's wrong And but at the end of the movie and I'm, I know I'm getting this is a spoiler so you know compress you <laughs> the, press the 30 seconds for it if they want them here but In the end, he manages to find a way to get both, his family and his individual voice as a musician. He finds Mm -hmm. both. And I was blown away because I was like, I've never seen a Disney movie that does this. Usually Disney movies are let it go or let me find my own way or, you know, things like that. So there are ways that we can manage to have both not perfectly, but certainly there are ways that we can find that.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, you bring up a really good point when it comes to movies and it is this. Typically, in my experience, it's been 99% of the time. Actually, I'm going to put it at 100 because I haven't seen a movie like that just yet. Where you go through an experience like this, such as you're challenged by your family, your loved ones, your supporters, to whether or not you should pursue a particular dream. And then the movie always ends with you attaining your dream and then actually developing a better bond with those surrounding you. But the question that I've always wondered is this what if that doesn't happen for some what if you don't attain your dream and you don't develop a better bond with other people then
1: what
2: yeah
0: because that's got to be a reality for some
2: yeah it absolutely is Oleg.
0: and it probably is a reality for all of us because we can't achieve all of our dreams
2: yeah that's totally true so This is the thing that I talk about a lot on my social media and that, you know, there's a saying that people like to say that this too shall pass Mm -hmm. or the storm always passes. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: But like what I've seen in the hospital and the homeless shelter, the storm doesn't always pass.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And, and you know, that whole thing about whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's not true. Uh, Whatever doesn't kill you can leave you seriously injured for life. Mm. And, you know, there are things like, Hey, whatever you set your mind to, uh, you can achieve. Uh, there are other things like you will attract to you, uh, whatever your, whatever your personality is, that's what you're going to attract and things like that. But you're right. Oleg. um, we don't always get the ideal dream that we want mm-hmm. life can be very cruel and unfair. And I know that's such a downer. And I, and I know when I say that, that it just, it's not inspiring. It's just, but it's the reality. It's the reality. And I I've seen the hard edges of life completely unfair in, in the hospital all the time where there's not a happily ever after where people lose and lose and lose, and it's almost like this person has had enough and they lose some more.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so I, the only way that I can, there are no adequate words for that, right? Like there's nothing I can say that will magically make that better. But the only thing I can say is that for one, it does happen. And to almost like prepare myself and people in a way that life can be cruel and unfair and terrible. Mm -hmm. But when life gets bad, it doesn't mean that that person is bad. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: It's very outside of our control. It doesn't mean that it's that person's fault, Mm -hmm. you know? So a lot of times when people get sick or they lose or there's grief, they blame themselves. And there's almost like an embarrassment about getting sick or chronic illness or, or loss, right? And so we tie up our worth with how much we're hurting. And I have to remind myself, my patients and things like that, that their value, their worth, who they are created by God, their, their worth is not determined by what their body is enduring or their job loss or the terrible things that have happened to them. We are not our trauma, we are not our pain, we're not defined by our loss. Those things are certainly terrible, but we're not those things. So a lot of it is reminding people that they still have value and worth and dignity, even when all things have been stripped from them, including their health. And so um, I think one sad thing that I am trying to battle all the time is that we hype up this idealized self, this idealized dream, the idealized goal, so much in our culture. Every Mm -hmm. blog post is about 10 10 things you need to do before you're 20 years old, or here are the vacation spots. There's all these do's and don'ts. Religion, uh, politics, um, Buzzfeed articles, you know, Mm -hmm. all these things are about self-improvement, and those are great, good things. I don't mean to say they're bad. We we ought to achieve the virtuous version of ourselves, but the, the, The downside of that, the cost of that, is that when we don't achieve those things, there is terrible humiliation and shame. And so I'm learning to, both for my patients and for myself, say to have grace for yourself and it's okay when you don't get the idealized self. And like you said, Oleg, none of us ever get there. Mm -hmm. We don't ever get to the magical land of there on this side of life. Hmm. And there's a lot of grief around that, but uh, I talk about this in my book and I'm sorry to kind of shamelessly plug that, mm-hmm. but in the book I do talk a lot, there's one chapter about the idealized self and what mm-hmm. that means and how we're constantly telling ourselves you should do this, you should do that, you, ought, you know, you have to have to, and, and if you don't then this or else, right? Um, but there is a grief process and there's a way to let go of the voice of idealism. So dreams are beautiful and dreams are good, but I think there is a way to be able to manage that dream that it's not burdening you and Mm -hmm. not beating you up all the time and being able to achieve it in a way where you can say, it's okay that this is not perfect. It's good enough. And even when it's not good enough, it's still good.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: One of the things that I've learned is as you were saying this and literally just reflecting through it, it is that it doesn't have to be perfect. And the other part is that we're always a work in progress. Yeah. And it's, it's when it comes to any dream, anything that we ever envision in attaining or having within our lives, you are, you're, you're spot on as far as there's nothing wrong with the way that we encourage other people as far as here, are the five steps or 10 steps or a hundred steps to whatever it is. Right. It's, it's, it's good to have some of those things, especially if you're not aware of the first step that you have to take. Not even that you have to, but that you could take in whatever direction that you were planning. And so giving that as a sense of guidance, and that's one of the things that I'm learning currently right now, is accepting people's intentions for the possibilities of good. So even in in situations where the individual and I may not have had a conversation ever, and they're choosing to reach out right now and saying, hey, during this time, maybe you should focus on X, Y, and Z and me responding from, okay, you're reached out to me in 10 to 12 years. So what gives you kind of the permission to do it now? It's more so, Hey, I'm glad that you have, I'm glad that you reached out. And, and maybe I didn't think about it this way, because here's another thing. If I reach out to you, I have no idea where you are mentally, physically, and spiritually.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: And so the intention is, is for me to help or for me to offer a space of consideration that you may not have had before. So it's a, it's a, it's an interesting point to address as far as it's just the reality of it all. And, and that's part of the, the game, the dance, whatever you want to say is, is life, the shape of it is, but it's really just creating meaning out of those experiences and, and just yeah. the ability to experience really.
2: Yeah, what you said about we need those steps, we need that path, um, but the steps can change mm-hmm. and there's a lot of flexibility in what it looks like to get to the place that we need to and even the place that we get to is almost never the place that we thought we were going to, right? Yeah. So even in your your the name of your podcast, Overcoming Odds, right? We all start an A and hope to get to Z somehow. Mm-hmm. As we as we you know stumble through adversity, as we have goals and try to accomplish things. We we look at our plans and say A to Z and we try to follow those steps perfectly, but there's always stuff that interrupts. Life just happens and unfolds, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We may want to go to A to Z and then we end up at 47. <laughs> so yeah. you know? Yeah. So yeah, there's there's grace for ourselves to be able to be flexible. What I've noticed is that the people who are most willing to grow are also the ones who are most willing to say, this plan has to change. We can't do it the way that we thought we were going to. And we might not even get to the place that we originally thought, but that's okay. We're going to take what life has given us, this detour, and make a plan for that detour. And even on that detour, there may be detours within those, Mm -hmm. right? So how do we overcome those odds? It's just being flexible. And I think Um, a lot of Christians and religious people that I talk to, when they talk about God's will, being like, you know, oh, God has his will for me or plan for me or something like that. Mm -hmm. I'm always like, Yeah, but that can change at any time. And what you think you're hearing from God right now as God's will, quote unquote, you know, it it's flexible, it's changeable. And even my role, my calling, you know, even the thing that you're doing right now with your podcast in five years, who knows what this is gonna look like, right? Exactly. Our job, our vocation, it's always changing. So I think we we Ought to be open to that change and to be able to say, okay, this calling, I know that there's a general principle of what I need to do, but the blueprint of that, it's going to be different and it could be different every single hour.
0: Mm-hmm. Not to diverge completely from the topic, but one of the questions that I have in regard to not only religion, but belief at the core of it all, yeah. belief into an external presence or being or whatever it may be. I'm curious to know from your perspective, how much power, and I don't know if power is the right or wrong word in this, but how much power do you give that external thing compared to the internal one?
2: Wow. Wow. Well, you know, I don't, I'm not sure that if I make a separation between how much power I'm giving to the external, Mm -hmm. uh, for me being God and then the internal towards me, I, it it would be weird for me if I said, Oh, I give 60% over to this external thing, 40% to me, right? That's a weird (laughs) Uh, separation. I, I, I think I would like to think that faith encompasses, uh, everything that I do. And what I mean by faith is a belief in that God is love and that God also has a wisdom for me, that there's kind of a supernatural order to things. And I do my best as I can, uh, by grace, uh, to follow that. Um, I, I think, yeah, I, I'd like to think that it's such a deep part of me uh, that the way I enter every single room that faith has already kind of undergirded or informed the way that I'm moving in that room. And that doesn't mean that when I walk into a room, I just start talking religion or start talking about God. Right. Mm-hmm. Rather through my actions and through my words, I am somehow, I know manifest is an overused word, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm manifesting uh, the love and the wisdom uh, that, and, and the justice even uh, that God is. So yeah, I, I, what I see a lot is people sometimes, and I'm, I'm saying this for myself too, separating mm-hmm. here's my religious part of me. And then here's this, like who, who I am. Right. So here's my church duties on Sunday and then mm-hmm. outside in the real world. And I think that's the fault a lot of times of pastors who preach sermons only about the church or about, just Bible type stuff, but don't give real world, like here's what you're actually facing and what what faith does for you in those situations. So I'm trying to merge those worlds and not have a divide between sacred and secular, uh, but rather say uh, faith informs everything that I do. That's the things that I say I believe. And that's also the things that uh, come out during moments of crisis, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's hard. It's still a learning process. I'm not always actively aware of it, but one thing I do like before I enter every hospital room before I mm-hmm. talk with any homeless individual or low income individual or family is that I will always pause and I will always ask this question, uh, God, what do you want to do through me right now? God, what do you want to do through me right now? And I know that's a very, very overly spiritual, maybe religious question. Mm-hmm. But the reason that I ask that is because I want to be open to how to serve this person open to all the different options and ways that this person can be served rather than have my locked uh, presumptuous idea of what this person needs. Mm -hmm. uh, Rather be open to serving this person and uh, adapting how I need to. And I think God will give me always wisdom and grace on that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: June, I appreciate you coming onto the show and, and sharing everything that you have and out of respect have your time for you and, and the listeners of this particular episode. I'm curious to know, how can people connect with you? I know that you briefly mentioned you're an author. Where can people check out the book? What, what is the best way for people to get in touch with your work?
2: Yeah, so I am uh, J S Park. That's j.s.park. Uh, I'm, on, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter and Tumblr. I have a WordPress blog as well. Uh, my book can be pre-ordered right now on Amazon, maybe by the release of this podcast, it'll already Hmm. be, out. the book is called the voices we carry subtitle is finding your one true voice in a world of clamor and noise. And so people can connect with me. I also, I I love answering questions and messages through all my social media. So people can ask me questions anytime. And, uh, the book, if, if you don't mind me saying so, there's a, um, The book is kind of a journey through my hospital chaplaincy. So it's kind of a memoir, a little bit of self-help. And uh, I also talk about growing up in Asian American. I talk about trauma, grief, family dynamics. Every chapter is a different voice uh, that we wrestle with. And so again, Mm. that book is uh, The Voices We Carry. I'm super excited to, to release that book.
0: I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing. We'll make sure to include all the links and ways that people can get in touch with who you are and what you do and and I would, I would love for us to continue this dialogue continue this conversation and know that we're here to support each other as many of the listeners are i'm sure are the same way and the same mindset that you and i share
2: oleg thank you and may i say you are wise and wonderful and would you be well thank you so much
0: Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Google, or Facebook so more people can find these inspiring and courageous stories. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next week.